Univar Solutions family, partners, and friends, what is going on? Welcome to the inaugural Smart Asses podcast where we let borons be borons. 2021 was quite the year in the chemical and ingredient industry, and it's hard to believe we are already a month into the 2022 fiscal year. And what is going on with crude oil, propylene, and propylene oxide? Well, today we're going to dive into some of those with our industry's top subject matter experts. This here is Andy Erickson, your host, and I'm here with the heartbreaker Chris Ernst, who has been told by many that he's lost an electron, which really goes without say because we all know he's positively attractive. Heartbreaker, man, how are you holding up these days? Andy, I am great. Uh, happy New Year to you, and good to be here with you as always. All right, so a little history on the Smart Acids team. Chris, the heartbreaker, and I started an internal podcast January 2020 with the goal to educate the business on what's happening within the chemical and ingredient market. The podcast coincides with the mon- monthly key market and driver customer-facing document that we distribute that is discussed with all partners, whether it be customers or suppliers. Well, with a little love from our communications team, we decided to share this magic with anyone who wanted to listen. So we're taking this podcast external. Therefore, all the information discussed and talked about today is relevant to market conditions at this point in time, and it is no way predicting or forecasting future events. If it were, both the heartbreaker and I would be in a different line of business, working on a beach half of the year and in a mountain chalet the other. I myself have been in the pharmaceutical industry, chemical industry for over 21 years, I graduated with a BS in chemistry and proceeded to do lab work, manufacturing of small and large volume preneroles. I traveled the world conducting technical assessments of API and excipient manufacturers. During this time, I looked at the party people on the business side and was like, man, they're having a lot more fun. So I went off and got a master's degree in business, and I've been doing product management work since. Heartbreaker, give the people a little love. Let them know a little bit about you. Wow, Andy, that's an impressive CV. Thank you for sharing. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I don't know that I can keep up with that, but I will, I will attempt to do so. Um, so, uh, engineering degree for myself from the mighty university of Illinois, uh, far too long ago, I will say I spent the first seven years in engineering project process, engineering type work. And the last 18 and a half, almost 19 now with, uh, what is Univar solutions in various roles, very similar to your path, uh, with the company sales, um, industry management, business development, product management, currently uh, in the solvents business for about the last five years. And that's basically why, folks, the heartbreaker is more color commentary in this. Anyway, before we get into our guest, safety is a core value, if not the most important work that we do within the chemical ingredient industry. Therefore, let's talk a little bit about safety on doing your taxes. After all, over the last year, the government's been sending almost all of us a little extra cheddar, whether or not we wanted it or not. And at this time of year, they want to take it all back. So just remember a few things when filing your taxes online. One, install security software. Two, create strong passwords. Three, back up your data. Four, save your returns on a protected hard drive to store your finished files. And lastly, which has nothing to do with taxes, be careful and avoid online romances during the Valentine's Day season. Heartbreaker, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, we have a great show for our listeners today. We're going to kick it off with the killer bee, Kyle Stratton, who's going to talk to us about the wild world of propylene. And then we're going to bring in our very own piano man, Billy Grohl, to talk about crude pricing and the impact it has on alternative gas values and how that impacts aromatic hydrocarbons. Let's hope he doesn't get picked up on a hot mic talking about that. Anyway, let's get at it. All right, we are super excited to bring in Kyle, the Killer Beast Strat. Killer B is a Michigan Wolverine grad with a bachelor's degree as well as a master's in business from Ann Arbor. 
His verbal skills tower over that of the layman. The rest of us are just plebeians swimming in his sphere of influence. Kyle, Killer V-Man, how are you holding up these days? Not too bad. That was one heck of an update there, Andy. Yeah, you're welcome. So, hey, rumor has it you recently moved a little bit closer to your in-laws. And we were kind of thinking, tell us one of your favorite things about your mother-in-law. Oh, you! I was not prepared for this. I should have been, but I'm not. Um, one of my favorite things, how about just being closer? We have a, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and my wife and I both um, are in the industry. We both travel quite a bit, and she is always extremely helpful with with the kids and and helping out uh, whenever we need her. Well, that's great, and we 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 thank her for that. All right, talk that, to us. That, that's just that was just mean. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Give us a little background on who the killer bee is and how you became the subject matter expert within the portfolio of chemistries that you manage. Absolutely. I, it really just experience. Um, it's crazy to say this, but I'm coming up on 14 years almost in the industry and the majority of it in businesses that are heavily affected by propylene, ethylene, their derivatives. And honestly, it took most of those 14 years of just constantly reading market uh, manufacturers updates on these olefins before I truly understood the spiderweb nature of the chemical industry and how certain variables affect how we do business and how we make decisions as commercial leaders. Awesome, Kyle. Thank you as always for joining us. Uh, so first market question here. <clears throat> Can you give us a you know, current market update related to one of our key building blocks in propylene, please? Sure. Um, after the crazy year that was 2021, I think we're starting to see some typical level of supply demand related behavior with olefins um, operating rates have improved following the disruptions over the past 12 months um, specific to propylene we have seen the elevated pricing from q2 q3 of last year soften considerably as production's improved and the pull from polypropylene which consumes almost 70 percent of manufactured propylene decrease uh, propylene contracts rolled for January after decreases of nine, nine, and ten cents over the three preceding months. Um, but there are some signs of upward pricing pressure. Um, propane costs are rising as they typically do in the winter. Gasoline prices continue upward, and polypropylene production rates are expected to increase across Q1. Propylene and propylene oxide have an unusually dichotomous relationship right now. If you follow historic trends, there's a pretty obvious correlation between pricing between the molecules. But right now, there is more demand for PO than there is capacity in the market. And there's a couple of reasons for that. On the supply side, there was already a need for new capacity in the market ahead of 2021. But then the weather events, particularly the winter freeze in the Gulf in February, Hurricane Ida in August, took much needed production offline for an extended period of time. And then layered over that, demand for PO derivatives across a number of markets, but especially polyurethane foams um, in consumer durables and UPR resins in consumer durables have been historically strong due to the effects of the pandemic on demand patterns and disposable income. Um, and and the, the PO and the PO derivative market is, it's really still feeling the effects of 2021, especially on upstream raw materials, which are gonna negatively affect uh, PO production and overall capacity in 2022 and, and really beyond. So until Lyondell finishes its new plant in the Gulf Coast, which will be the largest PO plant in the world in early 2023, we will likely see a continuation of the market dynamics that started really in, in Q1 of last year. All right, Kyle. So thank you for that. And that's a ton going on related to propylene and ultimately propylene oxide. So take us one step further with everything you just laid out related to PO. 
What are the derivatives of propylene oxide look like? I think you'll continue to see upward price support on most, if not all, of the derivatives. Uh, each derivative will need to economically justify incremental PO for production, which they obviously do through price. Um, but there's really only so much to go around, and demand has not abated. Uh, but there are some watchouts that could change that dynamic. First and foremost is just consumer sentiment, particularly in large economies like China and the U.S. What will the impact be from inflation? Uh, will we continue to see the demand patterns that we've seen over the past 20 months? Personally, I'm not entirely sure we will. Um, if there is a material impact on downstream demand, then I think we could see a pretty quick reversal on, on pricing. Um, but then, of course, we've got um, unplanned events, typically weather-related, that could cause disruptions like they did last year. All right, good stuff, Kyle. Thank you. Uh, so, so bring us home here. Uh, if there were one takeaway you'd like our listeners to have from this conversation, what would that be? There are a lot of resources at your disposal to stay on top of the market. Uh, while the general sentiment is that 2022 will be a continuation of what we saw last year, um, there are very real reasons to believe that the market could shift and shift swiftly this year as well. So it will be imperative to be as proactive and agile with our customers as we can possibly be. Excellent. Thank you. Really appreciate the time and the insight and look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thank you for having me. Next in the studio is Univar Solutions' very own piano man, Billy Grohl. He is a Texan, but don't let that drawl fool you. With his East Coast roots, he has no problem being self-important, acting like the world revolves around him. Billy Grohl, man, how you doing? How you holding up? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the cast. I, I appreciate it. Good to be with you. Well, we love, we love having you. All right, talk to us. Talk to us, Bill. What makes you the subject matter expert in the chemistries that you manage? Uh, Good question, Andy. Uh, well, I mean, I've been managing these particular products here for about seven years or so, so I've got a little bit of experience in the chair. Um, but beyond that, I've also been in the industry for about 25 years or so. Uh, and some of that experience has been with our supplier partners, not just on the chemi chemical side, but also in the refining space. So I do have a background. Uh, an experience that starts at the beginning of my career and, and rolling through here from my supplier days to now uh, being in the distribution space. So, Any uh, chemicals in particular you want to mention there? Yeah, I mean, today I'm managing our aromatics portfolio, uh, and I also have MEK, uh, which is uh, methyl ethyl ketone. So those are the two primary points of focus for me these days. All right, Bill, thanks for joining us. Um, on to the tough questions here. Um, yeah. So what the heck is happening with crude? Uh, my recollection is a year plus ago, people were basically giving it away. What's the current skinny? Yeah, good memory there. I mean, there was a point where literally they were trying to give it away. <laughs> I mean, and crude has been pretty wild. So it's, it's a question everybody likes to ask. Um, you know, over the last two years, we've gone from uh, literally give it away because there's nowhere to put it. Uh, you know, and then we've come off of that. So it's it's been pretty wild. It's been pretty volatile. Um, so I guess the maybe the best way to answer that is, you know, if you can think of the global economy going from, oh my gosh, there's so much crude, what do we do with it? How quickly can we slow things down, right? Um, there's nowhere else to, to put it. Uh, to then how do we flip the switch there and get the global economy going again and ramping back up operating rates. Uh, how quickly does that happen with uh, global economic recovery? Um, there's been a lot going on. Throw a, 
you know, a pandemic in the middle, throw whether or not you can get a plane uh, off the ground and uh, consume fuel. There's just been so much that's been happening as things have recovered uh, that, you know, while it's been a steady recovery over the last 18 months or so, it's not been without some choppy events that just uh, throws the market for a loop. Talk to me here, Bill. Can you explain to me alternative gas value? I mean, to me, I hear that and I think of Seattle and grunge and my high school days and flannel shirts. But can you talk to us about alternative gas value and how that impacts aromatic hydrocarbons? I mean, when I think of alternative value, um, you, you know, it, it really starts with crude oil, right? And where do we go from there? So, um, you know, everybody watches the crude market. Then you start to look at uh, fuels and the gas market. I mean, that's what's really most relevant to folks. They go and they take a look and they say, you know, I filled up the car. What did I pay for it? Um, you know, I've got regular, I've got premium gasoline. But those are uh, very similar concepts to, I think, what refiners are looking at. Uh, you're looking at what did I pay for crude? That's my my feedstock. Um, how does that roll through my my production? Uh, what's the value of those fuels in the marketplace? Uh, and then you know further downstream you get into how do those fuels get converted into products that that we have, uh, aromatics or other products, and and what's the value I need to get further down the chain uh, to make it worth my while? Uh, so that's what a lot of the conversation tends to be about. It's, you know, starting with crude uh, through the processing. And as you get further down the value chain, you know, what do I need in terms of a return so that it makes sense for me to make solvents, for example, and get those out into the marketplace. So I think producers, uh, certainly refiners, always have a choice on where that molecule goes. And so they look at that alternative value, if you will, to help them make those decisions on uh on what helps them meet the goals that they have for their own business. Could you almost give us like an example, like flow through like toluene and xylene and how that would flow? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if you look at it, uh, toluene is a, is a pretty good example. Uh, if you look at what the barge market does for toluene, if you're uh, in that space, you can sell the barge into the chemical space, or perhaps there's still octane uh, demand in the fuel space. And so you have a decision to make. Uh, what's the value of selling that into the fuel space so somebody can blend it into finished uh, finish fuels? Um, or what's the increment uh, that I would need above that to make it worth my while to put it into solvents? Um, so there's a couple of decision points along the way. Um, it's not always after the fact. Sometimes it's the decision of saying, well, I'm going to extract this aromatic stream uh, out of the fuel stream so that I can put it into solvents. You know, even before I do that, what's the, uh, what's the value I need to achieve or what's that alternative price point that I need to achieve to make it worth my while? Because, I mean, just the extraction process on aromatics costs you something. And so I think um, there's a decision point to be made there. And then there's some decisions later on. Well, can I still sell it into the solvent space at that price? Um, because I still have an opportunity to back blend it into gasoline. So I think there's a couple of ways that folks will look at that. And um, those are the, the decision points that I think refineries will make along the way. Yeah, good stuff, Bill. Really appreciate the the intel there. I'm going to switch gears slightly, I guess. Was hoping you could give us a little background on biodiesel, renewable diesel, and any trends you're seeing related to those. Yeah, sure. I mean, this has actually been a pretty interesting space over the last couple of years um, from the standpoint of, um, you know, just 
the renewable fuel standards in general. Uh, you're, you've got it may, maybe a good idea that would be to back up and talk a little bit about folks are most um, probably familiar or closest to uh, what they see with ethanol into gasoline, as an example. Um, you know, you've got a certain percentage of gasoline that, you know, it's mandated that you need some renewable in it, and that's where the ethanol comes in. Uh, same situation here, really, with those type of standards in the, in the diesel market. Um, so you've got traditional petro-based diesel, um, and then you have biodiesel, which is really uh, looking at um, non-petroleum-based sources. So it's, it's mainly, you know, uh, plant vegetable oil. Uh, soybeans is a great source there. Also, once they're done crushing those uh, soybeans, you know, you're taking that oil and you're uh, processing it into a diesel product, and that's where the biodiesel comes in. Uh, but if you look at over the last couple of years, there's a little bit of a trend, even going from biodiesel to something that's called renewable diesel. And um, both are bio-based diesels, but the difference really being in how you process it. So the traditional uh, biodiesel that actually uses methanol in the process to get to biodiesel, um, that that process, there are some limitations there in terms of the quality of product that you get and whether or not you can, uh, how you handle it, um, the amount that you can blend into uh, petrodiesel and still sell it. Um, the switch to uh, renewable, and I won't even say that it's a switch, it's kind of like an addition to, so there's still a huge market for biodiesel, um, but there is renewable diesel that's coming online uh, because there is such a high demand out there. We're looking at billions of gallons of biodiesel uh, in terms of the, uh, the fuel standards looking forward. So there's space for both routes. Um, but when you get into the renewable piece of it, it's a little capital intensive. You actually have to have an asset that can um, exclude the methanol side of the process and actually hydro treat uh, that vegetable oil and get it right into um, a biodiesel. And the product that comes off of that process, while there's a high barrier to entry uh, because you need to have the right assets to do it or build something from the ground up, that product is uh, the same as you'd get from Petro. And so it can go into the same pipelines. Um, there's not a limitation on how much can actually be blended into the diesel pool. Uh, so a lot of the restrictions you get with the, um, with the original, call it biodiesel route, you don't have with what they're calling renewables. So um, it's an interesting phenomenon. And so, you know, what does that mean to me? I'm not out there trading, you know, biodiesel. But it's uh, it's interesting from the standpoint of, you know, if you're a refiner and you're looking at, hey, I'm going to process this barrel of oil, I get so much gasoline, I get so much diesel, and that's really where the drivers are. Um, now you're introducing another source that's non-petro-based that can get you some uh, some diesel. And so it, it tends to, you know, as I think of it, my own opinion is it it it, it may over time change what those those balances look like. Um, how do refineries start to view operating rates? And you know, if you're if you're running hard as a refinery trying to get diesel to support over-the-road trucking, but you're swimming in gasoline, well, maybe this changes things in the future. Now I have another route to get to uh, to to get the diesel. And so, does that change how they run traditional refining in terms of those operating rates? Which then, you know, I think further downstream 
may change? What is available longer term uh, into the chemical space? And does that change the dynamics or the return that refineries are looking for? Or does it change the operating rates that may make less material available for the gas pool or for the chemical space? So it's definitely something to keep an eye on and uh, to see how that trend continues and, and how it impacts our business. All right, Bill. One more question and then a little game we want to play. If you wanted a listener to take away one thing from this conversation, what would it be? Uh, if I could take away one thing, uh, well, the first thing is this this is a great forum and the place to be. So um, I think anybody uh, True. inspired to get on the show. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, second thing, I think, you know, if I look uh, again, and it's my opinion, if I look at the, the short term, medium term, I think there are there is so much that's changing uh, in the space right now. Um, we've talked, uh, you know, we could talk about things like sustainability or just global macroeconomics, right? Um, how how fast is the world consuming crude and chemical products, and what does that look like moving forward? Um, I think what we've what we've learned and what we've seen over the last 18, 20 months is it's been highly unpredictable. Uh, the pace of economic recovery. Um, the, you know, whether it's political drivers or health drivers or environmental factors in, in, uh, in Asia, all these types of things kind of come into the play of how much supply do we need and how much can folks consume and at what time frame. So I think um, volatility, um, while we see economic recovery, you know, has been kind of steady. It's not been without some choppy, uh, choppy moves up and down. We've seen crude swing $10, $15 a barrel in the course of 30 days, um, you know, like it normally does that all the time, which, you know, it really doesn't, right? It, it hasn't in our history swung that much that often. And uh, so I think this year I look at still some opportunity for that choppiness, still some opportunity for some volatility and, um, you know, the best thing that we do here is is trying to maintain that security supply and make sure that uh, we can mitigate that disruption for, for our customer base. Awesome. All right. You've been talking about mainstream oils, alternative gas values, renewable diesel, biodiesel. It sounds like you know all that. But what we want to know is, do you know your rock? We're going to give you the name of some, some artists and you got to let us know if they're rock artists or, or alternative rock artists. Couple softballs okay. out of the gate. Billy Joel. Okay. I guess I'd go with rock artist. Bill Grohl. <laughs> Definitely alternative. Radiohead. Uh, alternative. The Mamas and the Papas. The Mamas and the Papas. I'm just going to go uh, rock. Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. Not a bad place to visit, but uh, alternative. Bare naked ladies. Bare naked ladies. I will put them in the alternative bucket as well. And lastly, just because we know you have the fever, Justin Bieber. <laughs> Justin Bieber. I mean, it's in a category all by himself, right? But I guess I'll I'll slide him for today's purposes into the rock category. We'll appreciate it. Our own piano man, Billy Grohl, here with us. I uh, really appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining us today on the Smart Asses Podcast. Um, we're going to exit with one thing for you.
smart assets, breaking things down for the chemicals and food ingredients market, one boron at a time. Smart Assets is part of the Univar Solutions Podcast Network.